Good afternoon. Welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe, coming to you live from Fishers, Indiana, a population of 100,000 people north of Indianapolis and a growing community. Kind of a fun place to be. And it's July the 7th, 2.25 in the afternoon, and it's hot here. It's been hot all week, and it just seems like it never stops, right? It hasn't rained for weeks, and we're kind of in a semi-drought situation here. And I would like to thank all of you for being with us, the listeners, and also thank the Apple Corporation for sponsoring the program and invite you uh, to come to our next program, which I will be doing live from Madrid, Spain, España, and it will be um, in about um, two and a half weeks, I'll be putting the show up live. But I'll be doing at least one show there, probably two, maybe three, in Madrid. And uh, for any of you who'd like to listen, come, be sure to come back and listen again. Uh, and if you are not uh, on our, uh, our uh, mail serve, uh, sign up so that your email, every time we have a show, it comes in your email and you subscribe. So subscribe to the radio show and tell your friends about it. Now, uh, we have a special guest today, uh, and her name is Jill Oskins. Is that correct, Jill? Did I say it right? I got it right. Jill (laughs) Oskins, okay. Jill is from uh, Indianapolis. She's not from Indianapolis. I believe she originally is from Evansville, right? Originally from Zanesville, Ohio. Zanesville, Ohio. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And well, I was not very far away, right? <laughs> well, right. And she, <laughs> she now teaches in, uh, at Clark Pleasant Middle School, and uh, which is in uh, the, uh, the school corporation of, now what is the correct, exact correct name of the school? This it's year? Clark Pleasant Community School Corporation. So the high school would be Whiteland High School, Greenwood-Whiteland area. Okay. And uh, Jill's going to be the first guest we've ever had on the show who is a, who is a ENL teacher, right? And she teaches yes, ENL. Now she's going to tell us throughout the show <laughs> what it's like to teach ENL, and I think it's probably quite an adventure. And uh, she previously taught Spanish uh, on, on a full-time basis, and she has evolved into this ENL teacher and Spanish knowledge, of course, on the side. And uh, and I think in her district it's called ELL. Now it's called ELL. Yes, it's gone from ESL to ENL. Now ELL, English language okay. learners. Well, okay. <laughs> Welcome to our show, Jill, and thank you so much for being yeah. on the show. You're very kind and for taking time to be here. Um, now, so can you tell us a little bit about, um, you were spent most of your young life in Evansville though, right? Is that correct? Um, well, Near okay, so yes, I, my dad worked for IBM, so we called it IB Moving. So he got transferred a lot. So yeah, the first 10 years of my life, I lived in Columbus, Ohio. And then we moved in 84 to Evansville and lived five years there. Still have a lot of good friends um, down in Southern Indiana. And then I moved up to Indianapolis in 89, right before my sophomore year of high school. And I've been here ever since. Okay. And um, so you did, so I, I certainly remember you from Mid Davis High School. Uh, Jill is an ex-student that I was fortunate enough to have in Spanish and an outstanding Spanish student. I would say one of the top five people I ever had in high school Spanish. Uh, She had a tremendous gift for learning Spanish. 
and great, great enthusiasm. And she still has the enthusiasm, which is awesome. And uh, but she always had a passion for learning languages, and, and still does. Yes. And that's remarkable. And uh, and I was fortunate enough to also to know her parents quite well, and we actually lived in the same neighborhood uh, for a long time. And uh, so, um, can you tell us a little bit about what your job entails to, when you uh, when you get up every day, you go to school, and you used to have all those Spanish classes, right? And, right, right. But now you um, don't. So, so it, yeah, the, the pace has changed in different ways. I went from, I was a Spanish teacher for 13 years in Mooresville High School. Great, great years there, lots of memories. We did some student trips there. Um, and I actually started out teaching ENL before I became a Spanish teacher. So I'm kind of going back to that. Um, I've been at Clark Pleasant Middle School since uh, fall of 2000. Um, the class sizes are definitely smaller than, you know, I was used to Spanish classes, the bell rings, you get 30 kids, you know, and then the next class and so on. Um, but with the ENL population, uh, it would be really difficult. All these kids from all these different countries all over the world trying to learn English to have class size of 30. So I am the teacher of record, kind of like a special education teacher is um, for, for her students. So I am basically responsible for 130 something kids at our school. Um, so I do, part of my day is instructing. Um, we have levels one, two, and three classes. Part of the day is going and doing push-in into um, their more gen ed classes, like their English, you know, math, social studies, and assisting their teacher that way. Um, and some of it is having resource time, you know, where the kids who need more one-on-one -on -one help or, or we have our, our newer students who really have higher language needs than, say, our level three students. So it, it's a busy day, but my class sizes aren't quite as big. Okay. Now, th this ENL teaching, what kind of, the, are the students from all over the world then, I assume, or, or as, how does that play out? It's funny, when I, you know, when I taught in Wayne Township years ago, I, yes, we had students from all over the world, but I had a, a larger Hispanic population. I was surprised to find when I, you know, moved schools down to Clark Pleasant, there is a very large Indian population. So I, you know, we've got kids who speak um, Punjabi, some who speak Hindu and, um, or Hindi, I should say. Um, so that is predominantly, you know, probably about half of my students are from India. Um, the kind of interesting thing though is the vast majority, if they attended school in India at all, they usually come in with some basic, at least basic knowledge of English, okay? Because they learn English in school there. I would say behind that, when the second biggest population would probably be Hispanic students, um, but we also have kids that are Burmese. We have kids, you know, I have a student from Venezuela, one from Honduras, you know, we have just quite a, a variety, but they're cute. They all cheer each other on and, yeah. and, and it, it's adorable, it really is. <laughs> so the, um, the, that's interesting, the, uh, um, you probably didn't remember him, uh, Mr. Artisone. Do you remember him? He no, I don't. He taught well. He taught in the uh, South Wayne School in, okay. uh, at Biology. 
but he had a gym. He used to have a gym up in um, High uh, Girl School Road in 10th Street. It was now now the Artisone Gym, but uh, he has his gym. Yeah, he he has the gym now on the south side, and okay. where he lives he lives on the south side, and he was telling me that he has a a big Burmese, Bur yes. what is it, Burmese, Burmese, yeah. Burmese population, yeah. down there on the on the south side, yes. which is not really close to. I mean, it's it's fairly far. Where is Jim? Sort of. I mean, where. Well, it would be more Perry Township schools. Yeah. Uh, from what I understand, there's a large Burmese But he population. speaks very highly of the people and, you know. Yes. The, the, yes. And very the, supportive of the parents, you know, involved. Yeah. It's interesting, right, though, that from an immigration standpoint in our country, we don't think enough about these other people that we always, yeah. you know, we focus on the Latinos and the, right. and then we focus on the Chinese maybe. And, and, yeah. and, and it, but these other cultures are huge too. The, yeah. And which is it uh, again, and I always remind the students of this, it, you have to keep remembering though that we are a, a country of immigrants, right? Yes. And that's oh, how yeah. we started out in this country. We didn't just show up here, you know, like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, and our, our ancestors came from all over the world, you know, and. I have some kids from Syria, um, other African countries. It's 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 amazing. So, do you use standard English textbooks, or do they have special textbooks for this? Um, you know, I, I pushed before I came. There were lots of different resources as far as like readers, some online resources. But I really kind of pushed this past year to get a textbook where you have something to start with the basics and build on. And that, you know, that's not to be a slave to the textbook. I, I don't do that, but I, I do feel like you need some sort of organization. And so I was able to get that. I, I was very happy. Um, we have a, a lot of technology at this school, I will say. As older teachers, man, it, it was mind-boggling, you know. But um, never, you know, I, I never stop. It never stops either, right? I mean, yeah. I've, I've learned that. You think you know it until the next year when everything changes, right? Technology-wise, it's constant. You were kind of ahead of your, at the time. You know, your time back. You know, you've been into technology. I feel like for years, but yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, we have. A, I have a lot of um, young teachers where I work, so sometimes they teach me things. Sometimes the well, students. Well, yeah, you'll recall that it goes back to I can't remember what year it was, but it was a late. Maybe the early '90s, even really the late, late 1989, uh, we were doing skits and putting them on computers. Yeah, remember that? I think yes. you remember we did skits. We and we it was the yes. Apple. It was yeah, it's Saint Comica, and it was Apple. Remember the Apple, the yes. old yes. Apple computers, oh and, and we started out there in in, in 1983. And we had uh, Apple IIc, the first ones they ever made, you know, the computers. And we, I think our, our department is the only department other than the art department that had Apple, everybody else had IBM. So oh, really? Was, yes, but <laughs> Apple, <laughs> Apple won the battle and we were so far ahead of them, you know, it was, it was yeah. incredible. Uh, the technology was incredible. Um, so did, um, so how did you get, you, how did you get into this language business and and liking cultures and you know the the things involved with language learning? 
Well, you know, it's it's funny. I, I My freshman year of high school, before I moved to Indianapolis, I went to Harrison High School in Evansville. And I remember I had my Spanish teacher, Spanish one, Senora Boyer Johnson was her name. And we had to do these um, these oral evaluations where you come up and she talked one on one. I mean, of course, you know, like a lot of students are like shaking like a leaf, going up, talking with her. And I remember her stopping at the end and she said, you know, you really seem to have a knack for this. She's like, you catch on well. You you are very good at imitating different accents that you hear. She said, I, I would keep up with the Spanish. You never know, somewhere down the line. <laughs> and I still, you know, I, I still had no idea when to be a teacher. Um, and then I had some great teachers at Ben Davis, you being one of them my senior year. Well, thank you very much. You're very kind. Uh, you know, the, the thing that I always enjoyed with you guys in class was, and I tell teachers this all the time, and, and you know, and when I write stuff, uh, things, I try to include this a lot. You have to have fun with what you're doing, though. It has to be fun. You, you know, no matter what level it is, even in college, it has to be fun, right? And if it's fun, everybody really likes it and they're having an enjoyable time. And why not, right? I mean, right, right. I always said, if I'm bored, I know the students are. Yes. But I remember meeting you for the first time, and it's so funny because it was it was Spanish course, so we were upper level, you know, students, you know, um, and you. I'm not saying this just to suck up, but you were like very inspiring. I remember we read Bodas de Sangre, and I probably understood maybe half of the words in there, and but you were just don't look up every single word. We'll get the meaning of it. We did those escenas comicas. We had to create skits and perform. And I remember the first time hearing, I never heard you talk in English. I, I remember the first time hearing you, it was in Spanish club one time. I was like, oh my gosh, that's weird. He speaks English. Because you, you forced us in a good way. Yes. You know, we talked in Spanish all period. Well, you know, that was the thing. And, and that was way back in the day. And that was a time somewhere in the early 90s where um, we were doing a total immersion, and that was the methodology at the time, total immersion. It also was the uh, uh, comprehensible input was being introduced by a, by a, a person, his name was uh, Dr. Samaniego, Fabian Samaniego, and he had, he taught, had taught in the uh, University of California. And he did the book, Dime. Remember Dime, the book? Yes! Great Dime. book. Wasn't that a great book? And, oh, and remember yeah. all this little video clips and everything? Well, he had done the book, and uh, he was just such a delightful person. And uh, he came down to one of our workshops we had in San Luis Potosí, Mexico, for the teachers in, at that time. And, uh, and he was a featured guest down there. And it was so neat to learn about comprehensive input. But today, it's a you know it's the it's a rage again today. People are saying, oh, but it isn't really new, right? I mean, this the, right, right. people did it. <laughs> you see, and you you've seen this, right? When you teach, you know, sometimes yeah. people say, oh, this is new. Well, it's not really necessarily new, right? It's just yeah. like it's just packaged a little differently. But it's the things we did too right. a while right. back. Um, so you you like to travel, right? Because I know oh, you, yeah. you you want to yeah. tell the audience about your recent. Neat, neat trip. Yeah. So um, I've taken I've taken students um, on three different trips over the years. Um, I've been to Costa Rica twice, and I actually just got back. Um, you know, June eighth, I believe. I'm spending eight days there. 
so awesome. Um, and I did that in 2017 too. It's slightly same group. We started with World Strides with a slightly different trip that time. Um, and then 2019, we took a group to Spain and France. So it was kind of trying to bring in our French students as well as our Spanish students. This is when I was, you know, teaching high school Spanish. And that was amazing. We were in Paris, Provence, Barcelona, Madrid. It was it was awesome. Um, and, and just seeing, you know, I think there's so many things other than obviously experiencing other cultures, things that some of these kids have never, some of these kids really don't travel much out of Mooresville, you know, or their small communities, getting them onto high-speed trains and like, guys, you've got to move fast, you know, or um, having them ask politely for information in another language and like, you can do it and, and feeling proud of themselves. It, I, that's probably my favorite part. It's so eye-opening to these kids, you know, when they go on these, on these trips with us. And we meet new people. And yeah, and it's, it's a shame that we don't get more support as language teachers from the government. I mean, and to help the kids go, you know, to finance the trips, et cetera. Oh, it would yeah. be so nice if they started having some, some aid for people, the kids, to travel when they're young, right? Because, yeah. it's, like you said, it's when they can learn so fast, you know, yeah. and they they assimilate over there. That when they're in the the, uh, the the country, the so yeah. quickly they assimilate language, and it's fascinating. Well, so you were in Costa Rica. What was your favorite thing about Costa Rica that you liked the best? Probably my favorite part, which also took me the most out of my comfort zone, was going to Tortuguero. Um, I don't know if you've ever been there, but. Um, you, you know, so there's no major interstate, you know, well, not that we saw in Costa Rica, so we were winding through these mountains. And, yeah, it gets kind of crazy, and then... Oh, we, you know, we had some kids getting nauseous, on, you know, I had to pull over a couple times, but um, anyway, that, that aside, um, so you get there, and then they say, okay, so we get all of our luggage off the bus, now we have to put all the luggage onto a boat, and travel by boat to get where we are staying, because <laughs> So much, and it was over an hour, and you know that for some of these kids, I mean, it was it was a beautiful four star. The food was amazing, but you can only access it by boat. And so we stayed in these lodges. There was no air conditioning. There's no TV in your, you know. But they had a beautiful pool. Um, we would go on hikes at night. You hear the howler monkeys above you while you're sleeping. But, but it, it make it's the nature part of it, right? Is yes. mind-boggling, and you know, yes. it just boggles the mind. My kids tease me. They're like, "Mom, you're not a nature girl unless you're at the beach." I'm like, "You're, you're right." But so it took, although it took me out of my comfort zone, um, it was my most memorable. And the, and the kids had an absolute ball. And then when we were there, we went into the town of Tortuguero. Um, they call it that because that's where the sea turtles hatch. Uh, so, you know, we're this school, um, you know, it was sort of a low-income school. We went and visited and brought all these supplies. And, you know, the kids, it was eye-opening for our American students. There's no air conditioning in the in the school. Very basic. Nobody has all of their own Chromebooks or anything like that. But they were so excited. We brought some soccer balls. And when we were done talking and presenting with them, they came out with our students played soccer right on, you know, in the, in the area right outside of their school. We've got that on video. And then you look over, you see the ocean is right there. I'm like, this is like surreal, you yeah, know? Yeah, it is. Some of the situations yeah. you get into, it is, yeah. yeah. And uh, 
just beautiful country there. Cocoa is a reasonable, lovely place. And uh, I had the opportunity years ago, and I studied in Colombia and Bogota. And then I spent a lot of time in southern Colombia. And we would go, and I went with the family, and they had this, this retreat like in, this, in the jungle. It was in the jungle near <laughs> it was where the Rio Magdalena dumped into the Amazon. And we had to check our bed at night for snakes. Oh my lord! Yeah, yes. we did. And there were a lot of snakes around there. And but it was oh. it was at night, as you said. Some of the noises and the and, but it was beautiful. But you'd hear yeah. all these animals and different noises, oh. and it was just fascinating stuff. And uh, and I know it, it, and it was so hot. My goodness, it was hot. But you didn't yeah. care, just like you said. You get into those beautiful things with nature, and you you know it's just like you know you're suspended in this surreal environment that uh, you know as you said it is it's very surreal and uh, but you know the kids probably never do that again right maybe no, you know no they and that's what you know we, like we tell them right do not bring food and you know there's all kinds of insects and stuff here that i mean you know and the, the country is so echo friendly i mean they really push they said that's one of the reasons some of the bigger hotels of course had air conditioning but they said, you know, we care about the environment. And, you know, you always get to know your your tour guide, you know, local who, you know, when you go on these trips. But this time, you know, this guy named Gustavo, he was phenomenal. But we asked him, we said, oh, because the group we were with was from Texas. And then, you know, this, you know, they're like, we're ready for air conditioning. I'm like, me too. But we asked Gustavo, I'm like, do you have air conditioning in your house? And he just laughed. He said, nobody has air conditioning here. Nobody. And, you know. <laughs> no, there's no air conditioning. And so it, it teaches the kids and the adults. We have so many conveniences that are wonderful. I love our country, but you see so many of them, they're not necessary. No. They're not, you no, know. No. Well, in, 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 uh, back to this, the same idea, uh, Jill and I went down to uh, Havana, Cuba. It was in October of 2015. Mm -hmm. And it was after President Obama had opened the country up a little bit. And so we decided to go down there and I got the trip organized for the teachers. And uh, spent a lot of time there in the schools to the San Pedro school that we worked through. And, uh, but anyway, one of the things we found at night was we'd go out at night and everybody's in the street. You know, yeah. like it used to be here, you know. Yes. And they don't have all these phones and everything like we do. Right. They're out in the street playing soccer, and everybody, and they all say hello to you. And uh, the crime rate in Havana, for example, is one of the lowest in the world. You know, and people don't know that. But uh, you're much safer there, and you are pretty much in the big cities in the United States. But anyway, it was it was fascinating stuff. But just like, you know, it was it was weird. You know, you're thinking... Wow, this is not how it's supposed to be, but it is, and it was. It was there's something beautiful about it, right? Yeah. You know, the way yeah. you get to see it, it's quite nice. Um, so, where did you study? Now, you went to IU and you studied Spanish there, right? Yes. So, again, you know, when going into IU, um, I was in the College of Arts and Science, you know, Spanish major. My minor was in the School of Public and Environmental Affairs. Still thinking I'm not going to be a teacher. Looking back, it's almost hilarious. I'm like, what What was I thinking I was going to do? With, you know, I just thought I'd go work in a business and speak Spanish or something. Uh, but, you know, my, my junior year, 
I studied abroad. Um, wish I'd done a full year. I just did a semester um, in Sevilla, southern Spain. So, you know, we I live with my host family. Um, that was, you know, the first day I remember, you know, on top of the jet lag, you know, I'd never been to Europe before. I, I meet the family, you know, the Spanish that I had learned or that I was used to hearing, as you know, sounds very different depending on what country you're in. So I remember the first day thinking, I can barely understand what these people are saying. And I just started crying. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm stuck here for six months. But that is the best way to learn. Yes. I mean, I, it was like I had no choice. So after about a week or so. You catch on, yeah. It catches on. Because Spanish is Spanish. But the interesting thing, it is substantially different than Latino Spanish, right? It's quite yes. a bit different. Very much so. And, so and you notice it. You know, in, yeah, you know, it's in Costa Rica that, you know, it's a lot easier, right? I mean, you know, very yeah. Latino stuff. But you get into España, it's a whole different matter. In Madrid, right. Madrid, right. it's un poco dice, hace. Yes. I mean, that's even, that's even right. more foreign, right, than the Sevilla. Right. Sevilla, yeah. the, Sevilla yeah. the, the speed that they speak with in Sevilla is really fast, though. Yeah. And it, it has a, a lot of Latino touches to it. But it, right. it's just the speed is just phenomenal. Yeah. When you're 20 years old, you know, you never... So I, so anyway, one of the things we were pretty much forced to do with our university courses was once a week, I had to go to a Spanish high school. And I had to teach them English. And I was petrified. I mean, I, I'm writing out my lesson plan. You know, it's funny now, after all these years of teaching, exactly what I'm going to say. I walk in, you know, of course, in the middle, it's all, you know, open air. The classes are more outdoors. And we, we get into the classroom. I'm just a couple of years older than these high school kids. And, um, again, terrified, didn't know what I was doing. But by the end of that semester, I went back to IU, and I'm like, I think I need to change my major. I want to Spanish, but in the School of Education. So it took me a little bit longer my senior year. Luckily, most of my College of Arts and Sciences credits transferred over, but I did have to, so after four years at IU, I did have to come back to IUPUI for a year. So I actually have two bachelor degrees in Spanish. One is in College of Arts and Sciences, one is in um, education, and then I have my ESL um, endorsement. So you probably ran into Marta there, like Marta Anton, was she there? It's a yeah. No, I mean at IUPUI. Oh, uh, I don't remember. I was only, it was like I was commuting um, and I was, mm-hmm. I, I had most of my Spanish credits, you know, okay. out of the way with, um, so it was mostly education courses okay. that I had to take. Yeah. Um, um, so, and then like, go ahead. I was just thinking of a skit that we need to tell the listeners about that you and Royce did. Tell oh them about gosh. that when you went to the airport. They went to the Indianapolis airport. This is a true story. And you can tell them what happened. Yeah. And you videotaped it, right? They videoed yes. the thing. Yes. This was back in the early 90s, right? So. Yeah. We, um, we, I don't even remember what the premise was. It extra credit? Was it something we were doing or entering a uh, contest? I think it, no, I think it was an assignment of some sort. It was an oral yes. test. So I believe so it, yeah. we, we go to the airport and we are ready. You, you didn't have to go to the airport though. It was no. open. You could do it in your neighborhood. You could do it anywhere you wanted. This Mexican grocery store, right? 
Yeah, this is before, you know, you had to get through security even to get back to where the airplanes are. We go up and we explain that we are doing the skit, you know, the crazy airline, La Linea Boba. So, we, <laughs> it's basically one of those where they, you know, kind of like in Chevy Chase movies where something always seems one thing goes wrong after another. That was kind of the premise of it. But they let us go back and actually they, they had a plane that was completely empty know when the next flight was but they let us get on there and the, the stewardesses and you know they kind of interacted and we filmed it um royce and i on an airplane yeah, that was royce smith and he royce, royce yeah. was he's been a guest in the show he was on uh, yeah he was on several years ago well quite a few years ago actually and um i think it might have been seven or eight years ago and uh, royce presently teaches uh and uh, he uh, has a doctorate in art history, and he's quite an expert on Spanish art, and uh, Latin, especially Latin American, Latin American art. And uh, so he's taught in uh, Uruguay and Havana, Cuba, and had programs oh. there, and uh, through the universities where he's been, and he's at Montana State University, I think, right okay. now. Okay, he was in Kansas at one point. Yeah, he's in <laughs> the state of Montana, in a beautiful, beautiful area. And he he was both of you together was quite a powerful combination. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure the yeah, airport never was I remember for the department we each won yeah. that. I don't remember. Yeah. There was a student that passed away, and, yeah. and we, we won. Oh, it was I was like, the Bob Swift, um, the Robert Swift Award, Robert Swift. Yes, yeah. And uh, yeah. but you guys, you were something else. It was amazing that uh, some of the things you do, but. Uh, but you fil- it was filmed, and it was the day of the old video cam, or the camcorders or something, right? Oh, who filmed it? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, somebody I, filmed I it. We, had it. we put it on the computer, actually, I think, too, right? Yeah. We should have kept yeah. I wish I would have kept that. That would have been a classic, right? Right. That would have right. been a classic. Yeah. That would have been, you know, it's, but it was harder to keep things. Remember in those days, you know, yeah. they took up yeah. so much memory, and now they do. It's easy. So... Um, you're teaching now, you have, how many classes a day you have, five or six? Um, so I have... Are, are you on the... Here. I have four of my own. I have, last year I had two where I did push-in and I would go into, and kind of, the push-in depends. Sometimes I'm in there with a smaller group of students just kind of assisting. Sometimes it's more um, sort of a co-teaching. I really try and get with that particular teacher and see what are your needs in this class what you know sometimes there's even a special education teacher or IA in there as well um so it's it's good these these kids um they're not just with me all day long they are forced to learn English authentically by being with other teachers and, and American students as well now, do you, do you see a similarity between the techniques of teaching Spanish and English, I suppose, like oh, yeah. for speaking, same type thing? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the techniques are, are, you know, pretty much the same. I have to imagine, you know, I only speak English and Spanish, unfortunately, but I have to imagine it's the same, whatever the language is. It's, it's the needs of the students that are a little bit different. When I taught... When I was a Spanish teacher, most of my students were American students, so we had that in common. We, I, I would be able to get why it was difficult for them maybe to pronounce the sound in Spanish, or why this cultural thing might seem 
you know, we try not to use the word weird, you know, in our classroom, but why, why initially it seems strange. So um, with the ENL students, their backgrounds and their religions, and it's so varied that it's so important to build a relationship as much as you can with these kids and know, um, you know, depending on the language, what, what their needs well, are. You, you, know? you must have pretty big classes then, right? How many kids yeah, are in the class? Especially my level three classes. Those are, so level one are, are brand new kids. And so those tend to be the smaller groups. And they tend to move pretty quickly up to level two. We have to do um, an assessment um, every year in January to kind of determine where they're going to be the next year. Um, levels four and five, they are not in class for me, but I still um, meet with them during this, if you call it fit, where it's, you know, I see you need help in your other classes. What are your skills that you need to work on? And then once they, they're past a level five, then they sort of graduated from their program um, and we exit them out. But, but they're still constant contact with their teachers. Okay. Now I'm going to change topics here quite a bit, but... Uh, Tell us a little about your family and uh, your uh, your mom and dad, your and your husband, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. So um, you know, I, I live um, on the near east side of Indianapolis, uh, close right off of you know Mass Ave, downtown Indy. And my parents and my sister still live um, on the the near east side as well. We. Um, so it's only about eight to ten minutes apart. My parents live in Irvington and. And I love, I, I have four children of my own, um, three are adults now. I only have one, you know, still at home with me of my, my own biological children. He's a junior in high school, but it's been wonderful having parents that live so close. And my kids are, even the adult ones are incredibly close with them. You know, we, you know, FaceTime or whatever, whenever we're having a celebration and one can't make it back to Indianapolis, you know, I was telling you earlier, when in high school, I'd come home sometimes, like, where's Nicholas? Where's Josie? And I'd call them, oh, we're grandma's playing Yahtzee, or oh, grandpa and I are walking the dogs, or taking, you know, we're going to go on a bike ride. Um, so there's, you know, I, I love that we are so close. Um, my brother, my younger brother, moved back to the Evansville area. He lives down in Newburgh. Um, so he's got four children, happily married. They go to um, Castle High School, Castle area. Um, I think so. So, yeah, so I, re I got remarried a year ago. My husband, Ken, he's awesome. He's um, a really his, good guy. His name's Ken, right? Yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. a firefighter, correct? Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a part of Indianapolis Fire Department. That's actually where he is today. He's at the station. But his other full-time job, he's an electrician. So oh, wow. yeah, so he's got his own electrical business. Um, and total, it, we have ten children, and he has four grandchildren. And so it's it's always busy. Now, now, granted, we only have three that are not, you know, adults or college age. You know, still at, at home. Um, but yeah, we want to make sure we got a house and dining room table that's big enough that we can have people over regularly for meals or you know, cookouts and that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, you have to have a big house, I'd say. <laughs> it's, it's, I love it. Yeah. You know, it's an older house. It was built in like 1900 yeah, or something. A, it's a beautiful neighborhood, yeah. For the listeners, it's called you. Woodruff Place. And it's uh, near downtown. It's uh, 
beautiful, beautiful older area, beautiful yeah. homes. This is lovely. Um, so um, let's get back here for a minute. If you were advising teachers about uh, why they should uh, be a world language teacher, what would you tell them? You know, and, we're, and I'm saying world language because I think ENL would be a world language, right? Of course, yeah. you know, in, in, you know. Yeah. I think it's, you know, and maybe I'm biased because, you know, I, like I said, this, this will be my 25th year of teaching coming up here. Um, and you, I've seen a lot over the years. It's just so unique um, because it's not just, it's not just teaching a language. Yes, I'm a grammar nerd. I, I, I'm old school. I love grammar and I love how in different languages, the way you form sentences is different. Um, but it's not just that. It's really opening students' eyes. We, we've got this big, beautiful world out there. And, and to see them learn things and, and learn that, you know, we have great ways of doing things here in the United States, but there are other ways of living, other customs and stuff that are just as wonderful as here in the U.S. Yes, that's um, well put. That's, that's a very good answer. Uh, I would like to throw another question out. This is uh, a little different, perhaps, but um, uh, you and Royce, for example, were incredibly creative people. But what is it about, uh, how would you say, how could people develop creativity in the classroom? I mean, if you were advising teachers today on how they could be more creative, what would you say to those people, to, you know, so they would be more creative? Well, I think a lot of times, you know, people tend to think, oh, she's just a creative person. That, that you have to just naturally be this creative person uh, to be a creative teacher. And that's not the case. It's, it takes work. I mean, it, it really does. Um, you know, when, in my mind, if you're being creative, you're deliberately trying to spark interest in the kids and, and whatever it is that they're learning and, and then finding activities to kind of develop, you know, and keep that curiosity going. Um, you know, obviously, at the basics, you need to be knowledgeable in your content area, of course. But even that grows over the years. What about what about risk taking? Oh yes, yeah. Don't don't be afraid to make a fool of yourself. Don't be yes. afraid to have fun. No, every day cannot be a game of Jeopardy or you know, Kahoot or whatever. But but it is so important for you to take risks and learn. We have so many of these games at school that I've never heard of. They're online or apps. And I will have to, a lot of times with the younger teachers, I'll go to our classrooms like, can you show me how to use this? Can you show me? Yes. And then I can then I can create my own, insert yes. my own yes. content and what we're learning. But and so you're experimenting, yes. you know, and, and collecting lesson ideas over the years. Now, but do you th do you think that do you think there's um perhaps too much emphasis on computer learning at the moment and uh, maybe because of COVID that it's, it's, whole, it's still out there. I, I have things that bother me about technology and I, and I like it and I've been doing it my whole life but uh, I think there's a limit to it you know and I think it's we have to preserve the human touch the human element in yeah. teaching in the classroom no matter yeah. what level it is or whatever and I think to do that, we have to be very careful about what we're doing, right? You know, yeah. as far as, you know, we still have to have skits, let's say live skits. Yeah. We have yeah. to have uh, 
live speaking. Yeah, and we have to have group work. We have to have large groups, small groups, and everything possible. We have to change the techniques, multiple intelligence, whatever. But but we have to think about what we're doing sometimes. And I think the textbook companies get so wound up with the technology that it's like this is the only thing we can do. Do you ever get that feeling yes. sometimes? Oh yes. Yeah, any textbook it seems like now <clears throat> does have a lot of times amazing technological components where students can record themselves, given prompts yes. and, and yes. dialogue. That's wonderful. But I I try to I, I have a love-hate relationship with technology, especially with when they're near you know, young teenagers. Because they feel like they need to have their Chromebooks open the entire class period. So at least one, you know, throughout the period, I'm like, okay, I want everyone to shut their Chromebook. And you see the kids trying to open it back up. No, I, I want it shut until I ask you to open it again. And and it's funny now that students really don't carry a lot of them pencils, paper. I have to have, I have this bucket, a bucket of you know, like pencils, I'm like, okay, if you don't have one, you can borrow them, but you need to give me something and so that I can make sure, you know, you get them back because, man, you can run through 100 pencils in less than a week just giving them out. But, and the students, I've asked them before, I said, okay, do you like stuff on the computer better or do you like, do you like where you're doing face-to-face dialogue, stuff on paper? And they, even these 12-year-olds will say, we like both. We like, you know, they said after a while, all day of just staring at your computer, you know, I know it strains my eyes, of course, I'm 48 years old, you know, so my vision has gone downhill over the years, but they still have that need to do things and engage in activities that do not require technology. I think so, anyway. Yeah, and in that, in the interesting thing, now, now this is from the college kids that I deal with now, and I... I more or less ask them a lot, you know, I'll say, you think we do enough technology? And they'll say, oh, yes. And then they, they'll also come up with the idea that uh, they don't want, they get bored. I've asked yeah. them. They say they're, they're bored looking at a screen all the time. They get yeah. bored looking at their computer screen. So I think there has to be a happy median, you know, and, but I would tilt heavily toward the human side, right? Yeah. And, you know, for, for homework assignments and things like that, it's wonderful, you know, yeah. and, and things. But when it's live, right. live time and you have live students and uh, yeah. the human interaction, the human communication is of supreme importance, right? And yeah. it really is. And we have people that talk, and I'm sure you guys talk about it, about uh, fellow teachers. And you say that people have a hard, the kids have a hard time communicating sometimes, right? Live, yeah. you know face-to-face. Yes. Well, and, and we use so much technology while we were virtual during COVID. Yeah. And I, a lot of teachers I have talked to, we feel like it's almost done a bit of damage to these kids' social skills. I mean, Absolutely, we'll get, yes. students, I'm presenting a lesson and we're, you know, in between activities, you'll get some that, that truly, I don't think, realize it is rude to talk through the entire period that they oh, need no. to. Oh, no, yes. Talk. I'm like, what is going on here? Yes. Um, but that all that time and just being on computers and away from each other, I, I, you know, I'm glad we're now primarily back and in person because, you know, a, a computer cannot replace human interaction. No, no. <laughs> now you, you you speak Spanish and English. Do you speak yeah. French and? No, no. No. But that's 
you know, it's funny. It, that's one of the things um, when I, you know, kids, why should we learn a foreign language? And I said, you know, even if you don't realize it, you know, sometimes when you learn one language, it's kind of easier to understand a little bit of another. You know, when I studied in Spain, we would travel and we traveled to Portugal sometimes on the weekends, or we'd go to Italy. Even when I was in France, those languages, I could kind of understand a bit what they're saying because there are similarities to Spanish. Yes, and, and the same with Italian, right? In Italy, same yes. thing in Italy. Yes. Yeah, it's exactly. the same. And there, there's a great connection, yes, with the, all languages over there, uh, the yeah. Romantic languages. Uh, so, romance languages. So, do you then, uh, this idea of culture, teaching culture, what do you think the best way is to teach culture in the classroom? Like your your ENL class, how would you teach culture? Well, with ENL, they, they, they can get, get plenty of culture as it is on a day-to-day basis. Right here, I think, yes. I think it's trickier teaching culture to kids learning Spanish, especially if they've never um, left the country. Yes. So, you know, I remember when you were my teacher in high school, I, I kind of maybe over the years I've pulled some things that you would do in class, but I remember like you would play these um, radio broadcasters of, of a soccer game in Spain and they're talking a mile a minute and you know, and you can barely pick up, but the more you you know, you listen, listen yes. you can pick things up and you yes. would play music for us and you'd listen I know, would listen to a song multiple times and then finally I'd be able to get yeah. which so make, I, which is they're such powerful tools but yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the 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 live things we have available is incredible for the culture. Oh, it really so is. So much more now than at the beginning yes. of my career. Yes. And in the Spanish, it, it, I think it's also important. Um, I love Spain and I love Mexico, two of my favorite countries in the world. But a lot of students think that everyone who speaks Spanish is Mexican, or everyone who speaks Spanish is Spanish. I'm like, no. So I try to pull things from like Ecuador, you yes. know. Um, it's, Places in Argentina, yes. you know, places in South America, even if some of these places I've never been to myself, I, if it's interesting to me. I'm hoping it's going to be interesting to the students to learn about yeah. customs and, and ways of living and stuff. Right. Now, what would you say about uh, any the any advice you would give the world language teachers, the young teachers just starting? Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> well, I would <laughs> I, I would say you know. As far as the basics, practice good classroom management skills from the beginning. It, it's so easy when you're young and you kind of look like you're not too far out of the age of these students, um, you know, to just sort of want to not be their friends, but kind of be, but it's, I don't mean punish them, but practice good classroom management, address things from the beginning as quickly as possible. Um, I would say be positive. A positive attitude goes a long way in teaching. Yes, and, and, I, I, and I, that was a yeah. question I was going to ask you to, coming up about positivity. Um, so, what is your feeling about positivity? I, as you said, it's extremely important. So, how would you uh, how would you encourage teachers to be more positive? Well, you know, I try to, first of all, model it myself as far as the students. You know, you can have just a horrible class period. You know, the kids are bouncing off the walls or or this wonderful lesson you thought was going to go off perfectly and it just bombed. 
I think it's important to reset yourself every period because the next class coming in, it's not their fault that kids were being squirrely the period before or that your lesson didn't go the way you wanted it to. Um, I think it's also important as you, you know, and you'll get this with experience, surround yourself with kind of like-minded, positive people. It's easy to get into a rut or be, and we all complain, we're all human. But if you're gonna be with people who all they do is complain every day about their job, about, you know, the administration or this and that, you're gonna become one of those people eventually. I mean, you know, so I, I think yeah. being around other people, yeah, and, and being positive, and, and as you said, and in this positive attitude, risk take, right? Have yeah, fun, fun, have fun, and yeah. make it fun for the kids. And but to be positive, and it's huge, right? I mean, it's it, you know, and I've I've been yeah. fortunate all, all the years I've been teaching. I've been around some really positive people, and uh, if you're not around positive people, as you said just earlier here. It gets to be tedious, you know, and you have to be careful, especially young teachers out there. Be sure to get a good school where you can uh, be around positive people and where you yes. can change and you can uh, think creatively and, and where they encourage you, you to be more creative and you can use those skills because there are places, unfortunately, where that doesn't happen. And most places are fine, but there are some that aren't so so good. So. You know, it's uh, called positivity, and as, as Jill said too, what she's say, saying, I think too, is see the good in everything, right? Yeah. Everything yeah. has a positive yeah. side to it. And, uh, I think if you're a young teacher, and if you can find a seasoned teacher, one who is even close to retirement, and you, they are someone who still is upbeat, who still enjoys their job, that's the kind of person you want to model yourself after. Tap into your peers for less yes. ideas. For and, knowledge. Yes, and, and to so and to share ideas, right? Sharing ideas. Right, exactly. Sharing ideas among yourselves. Yes. It's yes. A no, it is. it is. But share your ideas with other teachers and and also to listen to the students and change, right? You have to change. Oh, and you yeah. can't you just keep, Yeah. You can't <laughs> yeah. just do the same thing over and over and over, but you have to change, right? Yes. And yes. Uh, that's a big part of teaching, right? To make it yeah. through, you have to change. And uh, Jill's been doing this a long time. Not a long time, but some. some. <laughs> it's relative, right? right, right. How many years you've dealt with these things. But it, Jill has been very uh, positive, and she has made some changes here and there. And how many years have you been teaching, you said? This coming year will be 25. 25 um, years, wow amazing when I started teaching my older kids were little I was mostly a you know a stay-at-home mom but I still wanted to teach part-time so I was in Lane Township their adult basic education program and I taught ESL like um, night classes so that was that was awesome you know that the, they were adults coming again from all over the world they were there because they needed it they wanted to be there it was their social life for some of them I mean the class and and not feeling isolated. Um, and then I, I went to, it was the old Ben Davis Junior High. I was there for five years, um, taught seventh and eighth graders, again, ESL. Then we moved buildings to the old Fulton Junior High, now the Chapel Hill seventh and eighth grade center. 
And then I went to high school in Mooresville, 2008, and taught Spanish. Um, Spanish club sponsor there. I'm still a Spanish club sponsor, even though I teach PNL at my, my current school. Um, and that's when I got into traveling, you know, with students and that sort of thing. Good. And then one of the other things I was going to mention, and I'm sure you do this a lot, but it's to reward students, right? To have, yeah. have rewards for their work. And it yes. doesn't have to be some incredible thing, but you could have, uh, and I'm sure many teachers do this, as simple little things. You can get, uh, Teacher Discovery has them with little stickers and, you yep. know, and, and flags, et cetera, et cetera. And exactly. uh, little, little thing, candy. We used to have candy, yeah. you know, yeah. and just little things. And it sounds silly, but it isn't silly. And uh, give them a little extra free time on a Friday yeah. if yes. they've done well, yes. or met certain goals or anything. Or give them extra points. Remember when yep. we, I used to oh, get yeah. extra points <laughs> if you went to the Mexican restaurant, yes. and we'd go over there after class, and yeah. we'd have extra credit time points. Right. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah, that was fun times. But anyway, <laughs> the. When you think back on all the, the things, but the, the, the positivity, the awards and rewards, and at the end of the year, what, what's to say you couldn't have a, uh, an awards uh, program for just world languages, right? Yeah, and right. Uh, you, you could have uh, Oscars of the year for the most creative, yeah. creative world language okay. teacher, the most Ooh, creative. Ideas. That's yeah. a good idea. You could, have, <laughs> you could have red carpet, you know, and everybody right. could wear tux and gowns and... Yeah. It would be interesting. Invite the administrators, invite the mayor of Indianapolis, the governor of Indiana. I mean, you yeah. could do a lot of neat things. I mean, there's all these neat things we could be doing. Yeah. And uh, but it's just good to to think about you know some of the great things. And teachers do this. I mean, most many teachers do this. But we never get to the point where we need to stop learning, right? And yeah. thinking stop. about what we're doing and and try to improve the profession. And I think you're a great example of that. And the passion yeah. that you bring to the table is incredible, and the love of language. And I think that's always was totally impressed by you and Royce that you had that wonderful gift of wanting to learn and the passion for it, right? And the creativity. Yeah. So those are huge ingredients uh, for for being great teachers, as both of you are. Uh, so um, I want to thank you for being on the show, and uh, you have been a great guest and. Uh, I hope that uh, someday we'll have you back again for another show. And sometimes we go around and you know, we ask some people to come back, you know, and we talk about different topics. And you've been a great guest, and uh, your school district is very fortunate to have you. You've been a great, great teacher and continue to be a great leader, etc. And uh, we will stay in touch. And. Uh, uh, I hope you do more trips, and uh, yep. I hope you get to Havana, Cuba someday. Me too, <laughs> so, and Colombia. Yeah, yeah, Bogota is a neat city, mm -hmm. and uh, especially Havana too, right? Uh, right. For, for the listeners, thank you for being with us, Jill. Thank you very much for being on the show. Te doy si quieres decir algo en español a los oyentes para comentar. You want to say something real fast? <laughs> Algo uh, en español para despedirte. Uh, uh, muchas gracias, señora Alzab. Estoy um, muy orgullosa de ser maestra, uh, un profesional como usted. Bueno, gracias. Eres muy amable, ¿eh? como dicen en México. ¿eh? Ok, un, un fuerte abrazo 
que pases un día fenomenal. And thank you, listeners, for being with us. Don't forget, the next show is live from Madrid, okay? And we'll be in touch. Uh, thank you very much, Jill. Mil gracias.